for with a fighter, for example, if it's out if they're out of camp, then yeah, we can apply some more stress and pressure. But you have to push back against the norm. You have to push back against the norm because the norm is what is killing us. This complacent adaptation. What you're talking about, Brian, is the essence of performance, being able to shift from an energized into a calm state. I mean, like ice baths, like it's all over social media right now. Like it seems like everyone's doing it and it's a, it's a buzz and it should be. It should be a buzz. We know this, that one of the best ways to deal with chronic stress if you're overloaded with stress and pressure is... Welcome to the Offfield Rugby Pod. In this podcast, I uncover the secrets of how the best do what they do. And this is the podcast to listen to if you want to fulfill your potential as a player, coach, or as a person. I'm your host, Brian Moylet, former Irish age grade international player, now mindset and performance coach, and author of the book on how to become a pro rugby player. This is the only book written to help rugby players with the mental side of the game. And it's the book that I needed 10 years ago. The foreword is by Robbie Henshaw. You can get your copy now on Amazon. The audiobook is on Audible. And if you're not yet on Audible, you can get it for free using a trial. And the link for that is in the podcast description. Please follow me on Instagram at Offfield Rugby, LinkedIn, Brian Moylet. Send the pod on to some friends and please leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening. If you want to work with me one on one or with your team, please message me through my website, offfieldrugby.com. Cheers. So Dave, you help players or sorry, people perform under stress and work with like top MMA athletes. But chat to me about how you got to here. So as I was chatting, I've heard you on the Two Beers podcast. I've heard your story and it's class. But um yeah, just I suppose give me a brief overview or people listening of your journey to the work you're doing now. Yeah, yeah, I work with MMA athletes, but I work with um, athletes across all sports and also anyone who's trying to optimise health and performance. Um, Yeah, my background uh, is uh, in professional, uh, as a professional um, ocean lifeguard. Uh, That that was my early career, both uh, in New Zealand and abroad. Uh, and that's what introduced me, I guess, or started introducing me to, um, you know, very sort of high stress, high pressure uh, environments and, and real practical settings. Um, from there, I sort of, uh, I went overseas on this lifeguard exchange and I spent about eight years overseas traveling. And then when I came back to New Zealand, I really had nothing behind me apart from the lifeguarding and all my mates were getting married and having kids and had houses and mortgages and um I felt a bit lost, but uh, I was going for a surf one day, bumped into my mate, and he talked to me about this, uh, that he was doing this paramedic degree. And I didn't even really know what that entailed or even what a, being a paramedic entailed, but he told me that uh, it was shift work and you did two four days on and four days off. So straight away, I was like, that, that sounds amazing. I'll be able to surf on my days off. And I enrolled in the degree, uh, a three-year degree in health science, uh, and then a, a one-year postgraduate uh, diploma and then I, I went out on the road and worked as a paramedic and over 11 years worked my way up to an intensive care paramedic which nowadays is like taking the recess room from a hospital out into the environment a very broad range of uh, scope of practice um, uh, and 
yeah, I guess in that job, it is very much, you are constantly dealing with high pressure, high stress uh, environments and jobs. And um, that sort of taught me going through that process, that 11 year process of working on the ambulance, how to deal with stress and pressure. Because it's not something that was ever taught to me at school or at university. Um, and early on in my career as an intensive care paramedic or as a paramedic, um, I would go to these jobs and I'd get cognitively overloaded and I could feel the stress and pressure and I didn't know how to leverage it properly and it would, um, it would definitely put me off. Um, and in that job, you know, you have to make um, clinical decisions on drug doses and extrication. There's so much going on in these uh, sometimes really chaotic scenes that it got to the point where I had to figure this stuff out and that is really where it, it started uh, for me and, and having a deeper understanding of, um, you know, how stress and pressure manifest physically and mentally. And then after 11 years of working on the ambulance service, I was kind of a bit burnt out. You're doing a lot of night shift and, and you're being exposed to a lot of different stuff, uh, which is quite mentally taxing. And so um, I started my own business. It started off uh, just in the shed out the back of my house. Uh, I called it Woody's Movement Workshop and I worked with people around muscle imbalance. I did that for like a year or two. Uh, and then I started noticing like a lot of the people that I was training, I started working with some athletes were experiencing what I experienced and that's cognitive uh, and physical overload secondary to uncontrolled stress. And that's where my business is now integrated training. Um, I work with people that to, to get them to better understand how, how to leverage stress and pressure. Us. And it's something really interesting. Yeah, my brother's a doctor and I chat to him and I'm interested in helping people perform under pressure and deal with all that stuff. And chatting to him, he was just saying that like he's pretty okay with it, but he sees it in other people in his class, like panicking hard. They they learn these stuff in textbooks and then they go on to a ward. And he was saying he's seen people literally like breaking down because they can't function. And there's there's zero training in most jobs on how to actually perform under pressure or deal with stress it's fascinating eh? it's absolutely fascinating if, if the biggest problem that we're dealing with now in modern life is stress which it is we weren't designed to live in concrete jungles we weren't designed to have all the acute stresses uh, that we experience in a day if that's the biggest problem we're facing which i believe it is this stuff should be entrenched in school and in university and it should be being taught we should you know the skills of stress it's so important, man. We talk about like you hear athletes and coaches and people talking about how important the mental game is, but how much time, effort, and focus are these teams and these individual athletes putting into their mental health? Because that's what it is. It's it's the mental. It's your mental health, your physical health, your mental health. And um, you know, there's I think there's a big disparity there in most uh, um, you know most uh, sports or whenever whenever anyone's trying to um, or achieve peak performance um, and the problem there is if it doesn't matter how physically gifted you are if you're not on point mentally um, that has a ripple on effect into your physical performance obviously yeah 100 it literally doesn't matter how good you are physically like and i've been there and lots of people have been there where like you freeze or you just capitulate and it literally doesn't matter what you've done in the gym what you've done training wise no um you see it all the time and um these athletes man they're, they're so gifted both physically and mentally 
but you really have to, um, I mean, the stress that they're under is unprecedented, right? There's, um, you know, if we, if we think of team sports, there's the pressure of, um, you know, sponsorship and, um, you know, it's, uh, uh, the pressure of just making the team every week now. Um, these, these people are under an extraordinary amount of pressure. Um, and then you add, you know, life's pressures to that. And if you don't have a good toolbox in, in terms of like, mental skill development and, and uh, you can, yeah, it can be, uh, it can become very overwhelming. And um, that's where you see like a lot of, I think, athlete burnout. Um, yeah. 100%. And chat to me about some of the stuff you do with the MMA fighters. So like you work with Israel Adesanya, Kai Car France and some, um, yeah, like top, top athletes there. Yeah, I think the first thing that we try, we, I try to do is um, try and find some balance um, because they all train. Uh, the training load is so significant that um, it creates imbalances uh, in all of these body systems and their breathing system and their musculoskeletal system and their cardiovascular system. It ripples over into their sleep. It has an effect on their um, recovery. Uh, predisposes them to injury so it is trying to find some balance there um, with uh, methods that they can or exercises that they can integrate in daily that shift them into a calm state uh, especially with fighting I mean like you're you're constantly in a fight camp you're just constantly preparing for battle right and so it's very easy to get stuck in an upregulated state what we call a sympathetic dominant state um, and that really taxes your energy availability so it's about uh, yeah, integrating stuff into the training that shifts them back into a calm state and then be, also being able to get them to understand this stuff because, um, you know, what we're actually talking about is nervous system regulation. Them being able to regulate their nervous system so they don't get stuck in that upregulated state. Um, and for my business and, and the athletes that I work with, there's three things that we make sure uh, um, are entrenched in the training that I believe are absolutely critical to um, success. And that is to get them to understand the underlying mechanisms of stress and pressure, how it manifests physically and mentally, so in their bodies and in their mind, um, giving them the skills so that they have, you know, this toolbox full of skills that they can pull on and then putting them in practical settings so that they can take that knowledge, take those skills and apply them outside of their sport. I can't, I don't know, much about fighting like I don't know much about rugby or soccer but I know that you can take these athletes outside of those environments teach them this stuff then they take it and apply it the best athletes are the ones that can take things and apply it right but you can't do that unless you understand what you're doing plus when you understand it, it uh, has a massive ripple on effect because that's that placebo effect you understand what you're doing and then you can start using your language when you're doing it. hey this meditation this nervous system regulation work is like doing uh, a b and c and it's so good for me and that's that like self-talk that you can only really get if you understand what you're doing i don't know if that makes sense that makes perfect sense yeah 100 percent. i love those three steps and have you ever had any challenges with helping or with people wanting to know more? I would, but then I would presume that those people wouldn't be coming to you or say if someone was, was told to come to you and they're just not so interested or trying to say, sell someone on it or trying to get them to understand it. I'm just looking at that first step, like helping them understand like, Hey, meditate someone who's never meditated, someone who's never 
breathe it consciously or who's never done anything and then you're trying to help them understand the benefits when they've no conceptual idea of this has that ever happened yeah yep but the onus is on both people right like i'm not there to motivate people or to get people to do stuff uh i'm there to show them that hey there's this thing that you can do and this is this is what it can do for you if you uh are interested in doing it then let's 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 smash it but most of the people, man, like I'm, I'm pretty good at screening people and um, most of the people are, I mean, like athletes are normally really motivated, right? And then people that are, and they're always trying to find the edge, they call it the 1%. Um, and then people with with chronic stress and pressure, they're kind of desperate. They're, they're like, um, they'll try anything. <laughs> so... I think it's like, I think it's all how are you able to get on the same level as the person that you're working with? And I'm good at doing that. I'm good at understanding like human behavior. Uh, and so it hasn't, hasn't been a big problem. But I think, yeah, if, I mean, if someone doesn't want to be there, like, then I'm not interested either. It's not, it's like, you know what it's like when you work with an athlete or a professional or anybody. Um, it's not that it's not it should never be like this one-sided thing like i'm teaching you it should be a two-way thing i learn more from these athletes than sometimes i think they learn from me it's like i find it fascinating like working with them and, and i'm learning heaps by working with them like working with someone like you know take israel for example like i've learned so much over the over the last few years of working with them um and just watching how he does things and it's it's like incredibly motivating like you want to elevate like this is the great thing about working with these people is you want to elevate to their level, right? And that's what like I thrive off, like even just trying to build my business. It's so like contagious, like that their passion and their like determination and their resilience and their um, the ability to like uh, uh, take losses and, and then, you know, it's very contagious. So I love it. Unreal. Yeah, I can. That's like, um, sorry, that's like, everyone should surround themselves with people like that right if if it's so important man even like my close friends they are all people that like pump me up right and it's and that's how it should be you shouldn't be surrounding yourself with people that uh push you down and it should be yeah you know we should be pumping everyone up a hundred percent and i noticed that about uh, 18 months ago, two years ago, when I started doing my thing here, I went to, like, I started being aware of that. And then about a year ago, or about 10 months ago, I went to a seminar, which was like, entrepreneurship, marketing, just kind of that kind of stuff. And um, man, I was so literally pumped up because I'm around so many people who are, have big dreams and goals, and are wanting to go get it. And they're, just the enthusiasm is just incredible. And I remember leaving that more, more pumped up than I had ever been in my life, I would say, because I was around so many of these like-minded people. Yeah, one of the, one of the, we know this, that one of the best ways to deal with chronic stress, if you're overloaded with stress and pressure is social connection, right? Yeah. That's the, that's the best way to deal. I mean, you know what it's like when you meet up with your mates and you go for a beer or, I don't know, for a coffee or you catch up. You feel so good. Um, and so it's very important then that the people that you surround yourself with, people that elevate you and don't, don't push you down. Um, 
man, there's some there's some companies that um, I have worked for growing, like coming, you know, I'm 42 and so I've done lots of different jobs and there's companies I've worked in where the environment is so toxic, so toxic. And um, there are lots of those companies out there. There's lots of great companies as well. But I, I, I just always look at those companies and I think like, why would you ever create that type of environment? It's not a type of environment to like, I mean, most people stop their jobs, not because they don't like the work, or the, or the um, business sector they're in, they don't like the boss. They don't like the people. <laughs> and that's why they leave, like 95% of the time, that's why they leave. Um, I, I'm now building my business and getting people, um, you know, I'm a, a collaborator, so I like collaborating with people. And I'm, um, there's now, as the um, business is growing, um, we're starting to pe bring people in to work in the business. And my whole thing is I just want to create the culture that, like, um, that breeds creativity. A hundred percent. It's so true. And yeah, you want people to want to work in your business and you want to give them the space that, like you say, they can be creative because you can't be creative when you're stressed. It's simple as, and it's, this is the same, like rugby is my main uh, thing, main athletes I work with, but um, when you're stressed and like you mentioned about the nervous system, when you're stressed, you can't create, you can't get into that space where you're creative. And this is the same MMA fight. I know you different athletes, but I just, I like to think of MMA fighters too, because they're so creative. They have to be in the moment to be their best selves. And it's the same in a work environment. You know, if you're, you're stressed. And I think that in the past in work and in sport, we people used to think that that stressed environment was great because people were on edge all the time, but uh, and that that was ben somewhat beneficial, but it's just so far off. Yeah, it is. I mean, like, um, uncontrolled stress is very bad for you, right? And and controlled stress is very good for you, but you can only be in an environment where it is controlled stress, uh, if that environment is a positive environment um, and you want to be there. Uh, and there's something to be said for like, if we, this is going off on a slightly different tangent, but one of the things that like, I talk to a lot with the people I work with is how to bridge the gap between stress and pressure and overwhelm, apprehension, tension and excitement, because physiologically, neurologically, biologically, it's the same thing is happening. When you're excited, you're upregulated. You have adrenaline, you have cortisol, you're sort of pumped up. And the same thing with stress and pressure, you're upregulated, adrenaline, cortisol, noradrenaline, you're pumped up. So how do we bridge that gap? And how we bridge that gap is focus. Our ability to focus unlocks creativity because you can't uh, focus and be creative if your mind is agitated. And so we work a lot around how to bridge that gap and how you bridge that gap is very much internal, learning to control some of these key body systems that you that we all have um your breathing your nervous system your muscular system uh even even your using your vision um to better control uh physiologically better control stress mm, a great point and then that's feeding into are you saying there like say ice baths or cold water exposure so that you're intentionally putting yourself under quite a lot of stress and you're learning to manage and deal with that and stay calm while in a potentially stressful environment is that is that kind of what you're saying yeah 
that's like where these practical settings come in where we want to put people in a stress state in a, in a physically and mentally stressed state uh, and then for them to be able to use uh, these things like their breathing uh, the breathing is a key one to be able to elicit a calm state to, so to be able to work with the agitation and be focused alert and calm uh, and the ice bath is a great way to train that because there's no more noxious stimulus than one degree water, right? Like it puts you in a very high, what we call sympathetic state. That's the division of your nervous system uh, that is responsible for that fight, they call it that fight, flight or freeze uh, response. But all it does is just gear you up for battle, gear you up uh, to, to mobilize energy to do something. And um, yeah, I, I've, the ice bath is like funny because I, I post pictures of people in the ice bath and people are sending me messages all the time. Hey, have you not seen the latest research? Like uh, cold water is detrimental to muscle recovery. Well, if we think about recovery, the most potent form of recovery is your ability to be able to self-regulate your nervous system, be able to shift from that sympathetic into the parasympathetic. And so. Um, Yes, I understand the research, uh, and it's it's, um, but there's deeper layers to it, and it's not about muscle recovery. It's about being able to regulate your nervous system in these stressful environments. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's um, it's you being in control of your mind, and I found about five years ago I went through a rough patch of mental health, and then different things and I remember the cold showers about three years ago I started doing them and at that point with those I just realized like I'm in control like you know of my mental state like it just I, I have the control it's not like it may happen again like I might get depressed again I might and I suppose but I just was like that the cold showers gave just told me like I'm in control because once you can stand under there for 10 yeah. minutes five minutes yeah, it's right. Eh? There's so, so many things to unlock there. Um, you know, one is people that have um, anxiety. I mean, we all have anxiety, but uh, people that have significant anxiety, that's uh, inhibiting their thing, their, their ability to do uh, normal day-to-day -day things. People that are chronically stressed, depressed, what they tend to do is they create a lot of safety barriers, right? And on a micro level, getting in the ice bath, and they don't feel like they have control. Because it can be very confusing when, when you're in a um, chronically anxious or stressed state, right? Um, on a micro level, the ice bath is everything about breaking down those barriers. It's all about getting in there and controlling it. And when you get these people that have a negative relationship with stress and pressure in the ice bath and they can control their breathing and they can you know, shift even into a calm state in the um, cold, they get out of that and it is, you can just see it's like a, a switch goes off. It's like, wow, well, if I can control that, I can apply that to this and this and this. And maybe I can pull down some of these barriers. And man, I love it. I love like seeing that. And, and the ice bath is just such a good practical way to demonstrate to people because people need that. They need to like, you can talk to them all you want, but they need to actually feel it. We need to feel this stuff. Um, and then and then go and apply those things into every other facet of health and performance. Yeah, 100%. It's like opening a door. Mm, and that's why, that's why, like, I mean, like, ice baths, like, it's all over social media right now. 
like it, it seems like everyone's doing it and it's a, it's a buzz and it should be it should be a buzz people should be doing it because it's great it makes you feel wonderful you get it you know when you get out of the ice bath uh when you're in the ice bath you get a big flood of noradrenaline that's adrenaline for your brain which improves your focus when you get out you achieve something that's some dopamine and it's the combination of this adrenaline and the dopamine that makes you feel so good when you get out uh and so it lifts your mood it elevates your mood Hundred percent, and I suppose I just think back to I remember when I was under eighteen playing in rep teams. We had to have ice baths, like had to have ice baths after uh, trainings and stuff. And we didn't get the education around it. It was, and it was very much fear based. Oh shit! You see them filling ice baths. Oh no! Oh my god! We're gonna have to get into those after. Oh fuck! And so you went and you got into an ice bath, and you were just like you talk about the nervous system and. Uh, like ours would have stayed up regularly or whatever we'd have been just like oh shit when's it over when's it over when's it over and you're you're just stressing in there and you're not breathing and so it's it doesn't actually have any benefit probably negative then in that sense whereas the whole thing just to bring it back what we're saying is that when you can then relax when you're in there you then hold the power to relax at any time so it's the best way to build a skill of relaxing Yes, absolutely, man. And what you're, you know, like if you're using this as a tool for mental skill development and what you're looking for is patterns of behavior. So what is the pattern of behavior here? Okay, one minute before getting in, you're, you're stuck in your head, your language is negative. You get in there, you have no ability to control your breathing. You're sitting in there all tense. That's the same pattern, the exact same pattern that is going to come out because that's hardwired, that pattern is hardwired. And that is the exact same pattern that will come out in other high-pressure, high-stress moments. And actually, it's very simple. What, what we're teaching is very simple. It's conscious control of your breathing, simple body scans, release. Having, it's just having more awareness. But it's these key things like, you know, actually taking conscious control of your breathing, doing the opposite of the stress response. This, when the stress, the stress response and how it upregulates the body, you are almost doing the opposite. That rather than your breathing rate increasing, you're going to lower your breathing rate rather than holding tension in your muscular system. You're going to relax every single muscle in your body. Um, and then you're going to start tapping into your mind, your language and your perspective. You know, hey, I'm good. I'm good. I've got this. And then you start training your mind to not latch to the end of the two minutes or three minutes or however long you're in there and actually be able to bring your mind to the present moment. So that's like that. the definition of mindfulness or meditation is like to be able to um, be in the moment. Uh, incredibly powerful stuff, man. Um, and that's why, yeah, it's so popular. But I think I think there's like a lot of uh, misunderstanding out there about um, the cold water. And that's why I'm getting these floods of messages coming in of people saying, hey, you, you know, why are you doing this? It's got nothing to do with muscle recovery. I, I never use <laughs> muscle recovery. Don't even think about it in terms of muscle recovery. I, th I think about it in terms of the things we've talked about, but in deep in a deeper sense of recovery, which is being at learning how to regulate your nervous system, because we do actually have control even of our autonomic nervous system called autonomic because we've got no control over it. Of course we do. We have control over it through our thought processes, through our perspective, through our control of our breathing. Indirectly, we absolutely have control. It was interesting, man. I was doing this training in the pool with the UFC boys and it, it ended up being, I think it was on... Um, the UFC countdown or something like that, but you could you could hear me say, "Hey, 
guys, you're going to shift now into that parasympathetic state because we talk about it a lot, sympathetic, parasympathetic, energized, relaxed. Um, and so you could hear it in, this, in the comments that a doctor uh, typed in there. He said, hey, um, what you're saying is actually false. You can't um, shift yourself into a parasympathetic state because it's not under our voluntary control. And I wrote back and I said, no, absolutely, we can. We can control that. And he said, um, any first year medical student knows that you cannot control the autonomic nervous system. So I came, I wrote back and I said, hey, if you have a thought come in, a negative thought, and you're able to uh, deconstruct that thought and, and re respond positively, change your language, shift your perspective, you have intersected stress. And that is going to have a ripple on effect into your autonomic tone, your ability to, you know, be in either a sympathetic or a parasympathetic. And just through conscious control of your breathing, I explained it. You know, when you consciously control your breathing, you calm the system. So indirectly, yes, we do. And he came back and he said, hey, I've never thought of it like that. Um, yeah, that was my point. <laughs> that was my point. <laughs> yeah. And what kind of stuff do you do? I've seen the videos. I think I've seen the exact one you're talking about. And what kind of stuff um, do you do with the different athletes in the pool? Like what, what does a session like that look like? A session in the pool is a combination of recovery, shifting them into that calm state. Um, because a lot of the, as you know, a lot of these athletes are overloaded, uh, overtrained. Um, so it's prioritizing recovery first and foremost. Uh, a small portion of the training is actually putting them into um a stressful environment and start to elicit some of the patterns that we talked about. So what are their patterns when um, the stress comes in underwater? What do they look like? Um, and then the other, the other parts of the training in the pool is trying to, for them to try and work things out that are going on in their lives. Um, you know, that's like, I don't know, I'll give you an example. We might do like a 20-minute um, a floating meditation in the pool uh, where they're just quiet. Uh, and so, you know, what we tend to do nowadays is we're very good at being up-regulated. We're not so good at down-regulating. And when there is quiet time, we try to fill that void because when you have an agitated mind, it's agitated, it's agitating to be quiet to be in a quiet place. So we fill that void with screen time or whatever whatever else it might be, food, alcohol. Um, there's so many things that we work on in the pool and it's different with every athlete depending on where, where they're at physically and mentally. Sometimes they come in and like I always ask them, you know, um, what's your energy today? And we have a one out of 10 rating. And um, they might come in and be absolutely buggered, you know, and they're, they're like, you know, my energy is like two. Well, then I may have something planned in the pool, but you can't add load to someone who is already overloaded. So that might have to change, right? And it might just be a recovery session. If they're for, with a fighter, for example, if it's out, if they're out of camp, then yeah, we can apply some more stress and pressure. But you have to understand that, like, it's easy to get an athlete in, in the pool or in any environment and just smash them. But it's kind of like if they're looking for um, these one one percenters outside of their the system that they're in, um, I think probably ninety percent of the time that should be favoured towards recovery. 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you'd agree, but you, you've, you've, you, you understand like the training goes into the training load. Yeah, I know. I, I agree. And something I was taught about um, when I was living in Vancouver for the last four years before COVID, I used to do quite a bit of hot yoga and it was very strenuous. And you had to, I think it was Joe Rogan said, it's like a martial art, but on your own, you know, because you go into those places and it's challenging. And at the end, you do a Shavasana, which is you lie down on your back. This is the end of every yoga practice from what I gather you lie on your back and I think the deeper meaning of it is you you die or you practice dying and you just completely just feel the weight of your body on the ground and you know you just completely just we'll say meditate whatever it is but that just really just centers you and and you're doing this kind of stressful within the yoga it's, it's stressful to an extent and then you do that and you're just so grounded and so relaxed when you get up and leave and what you're saying there is something that I think is will be very will be huge, which I doubt is done, is and I just think from a rugby lens, rugby players go into the gym three times a week. They're lifting hard, they're firing up the nervous system, and then they finish their session. They might have a little bit of a stretch, but then they go off and then there's stress. So, you know, you're you're kind of your nervous system's fired up, you're stressed in a way, and then you take out your phone and then you go off and, and you carry on your day and you're staying in that upregulated state whereas if if athletes after a gym session and strength and conditioning coaches did this where it's like all right boys all right we're all going to lie down and you put on some calming music and everyone just lies down for three or four minutes at the end and just do essentially that shavasana which is done in yoga and then they leave what you're talking about brian is the essence of performance being able to shift from an energized into a calm state and being able to practice to do it quickly, right? We we put I put so much emphasis with the athletes I work with in their ability to shift from an energized to a relaxed state because that's control of your energy output. And there are key times uh, where this should be integrated into um, all sports, and that is at the end of a high intensity session, right? The heart rate's up, the blood pressure's up, the breathing's up, the nervous system's upregulated. How quickly can you shift back into a calm state? And what are you going to use? And the court, look, we take fighting, for example, they one minute between rounds. What do they have access to to, to downregulate? What do they have access to? Their breath. Nothing external. Maybe some ice and, and a few words from the coach, right? It's all internal. Their ability to um, control their energy in that moment is, yeah, you know, these, these intricate body systems that are designed to regulate stress and pressure. The breathing is like the key one. Um, yeah. There's um, when you were talking about that. There's you know I was thinking um, for a lot of people, man. If you try to like look, if you try to like put them in a quiet place and tell them to meditate, it's going to agitate them. It is really going to agitate them. They're not going to get relaxed and they're going to get frustrated, and that's why they avoid doing it. It's not meditation. Um, is not about getting relaxed. Sometimes it's about working with the agitation and just understanding, just being quiet and understanding how agitated the mind is uh, and how you're not able to focus the mind, even for 10, 20 seconds. Um, you can only learn that by doing the, this deep, the deep work, right, uh, to better understand yourself. And um, what I've found is like when I'm trying to introduce someone to this, uh, to the idea of meditating, or I call it nervous system regulation. 
um, is sometimes you have to create a challenge or a stress and be able to like actually um, uh, put them into a practice where there is uh, a bit of stimulus in terms of stress and get them to uh, use it to get calm. And sometimes that's if, if you've been stuck in an upregulated state for so long, which is, I don't know, most people nowadays, uh, just trying to get them to, to sit down and relax is, is maybe not the best way to go about it. Uh, in my experience, in my experience, you actually have to apply some stress and get them to learn to use that stress to get calm. Once they know how to do that, uh, then you add the next layer and the next layer. Yeah, uh, I want to ask you about what um, stresses you would add. But first, I just want to, um, <clears throat> with the meditating thing, I think what a lot of people do is they, and I was this person for quite a while, you sit, you lie down and your mind is just racing hard and you're like, wow, this is uncomfortable. I can't meditate, get up. It's not for me. But I think meditating is not getting your mind to stop. Meditating is the skill or building the skill of bringing your focus back to your breath or back to the one point. So I have it all the time now when I meditate in the morning and my mind still goes, you know, it's it just always. But um, I you're training your mind to become focused on the present. And that's just the more you do it, the better you become at it, the better you become at calming the mind or the calmer your mind is, the more you do this stuff. So your mind will never stop. Don't ever, well, unless you're a Buddhist monk in the Himalayas. But yes, you're exactly right there. And um, what what in, once you understand that and and uh, and how powerful that is for, um, I mean, just everything, but for for mental stability, um, it can be done anywhere. Like I do it all the time. Right, I'm driving my car. Okay, for the next five hundred meters, I'm going to create one point of focus and see if I can sustain that focus. Right, we're running the sand dunes. I'm gonna, and it's horribly uncomfortable. I'm gonna try not to let my mind latch to the end. When you're going under the pool and you're crawling along under the pool and you've got to get to the end, when the stress comes in, what does the mind focus on the end? Right, okay, so that all of the stuff is then meditation, if you know how to apply it into everything. And so you start getting very good at focusing your mind. And that is what unlocks creativity your ability to focus because remember an agitated mind a mind that's latching to everything can't um, focus or be creative um, and so for me I don't spend a lot of time just sitting down and meditating I'm a very active uh, relaxer and so I try to integrate this stuff in all the time just how 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 I explained it um, and yeah, I do. I do very purposefully every day, find a quiet place and lie down and, and I, I, I do that. But um, it's not just about that. It's about then. I mean, that's only 20 minutes of my day. It's about then applying it into everything. And that's mm. like ice bath, two minutes in the ice bath at one degree. And that is meditation because what are you trying to do? You're trying to focus your mind. You let it wander, bring it back. It's trying to latch onto the end. You bring it back. Every time you bring it back, you strengthen the higher brain centers, the front part of your brain, the prefrontal cortex, staying focus, short-term memory, creativity, all, all the wonderful things you need uh, for any type of performance. And man, just to the other point, um, when you were talking about like how, how, the like what you're talking about is very simple just a practice where like okay for if we take rugby for example after a session they just lie down and down regulate 
uh, by using their breathing or any form of you know meditation. Um, do we have a problem at the moment in rugby with um, the amount of people getting injured? Yeah, I'd say so. Is there an issue there? Is there a problem there? Probably, I think, yeah. I think there is. I think there's a yeah. big, I think there's a big problem there, and it's getting more and more. Right? Why? Because that's simple. There's more and more load. How do we get better? Add more load. Add more load. And the, the load ends up becoming the weakness. I work with lots of rugby players. Uh, most of them come to me when they're injured because they've got some downtime, um, and it's easy to see when you ask the right questions how overloaded these players are and the ripple on effects uh, are into their sleep into their recovery into their nervous system into their breathing imbalance into their muscular imbalance predisposing them to injury um are they getting yeah yeah there are certain injuries you can't avoid right right someone crashing into your knee uh, but a lot of these injuries are secondary to fatigue psychological and physiological fatigue yeah and the psychological like you say like just always being on edge and, and stress and this is people in society as a whole it affects your sleep which affects your recovery which affects your mental health which makes you more agitated which it's just a huge it's just all a big circle and something when you're just chatting there about um load i was listening to habib there um the old UFC fighter talk about a year ago to uh, longer ago, probably actually. And he said, he's like, I train, I go to sleep. I train, I go to sleep. I get up, I eat, I go back to sleep. <laughs> and, you know, like so intense, but it's so true. Like, cause he, he was just saying, he's like, you can't, if it's, your, if it's all your life and that's a bit on the extreme. And he was one of the most, the best athletes in the world, but, um, that was his number one focus and he knew that outside of training he needed to be recovering and sleep was his thing and that's that's what he did yeah i think a lot of athletes get stuck in this mindset of um how do we get better we add more load um, mm. coaches also get stuck in that mindset how, how are big we time we add more load and it's like i said the load ends up becoming the weakness there's a tipping point there of course there is the system can only take so much, right? If you don't get the balance right between um, load and recovery, that's where uh, uh, injury um, and uh, and affecting your sleep. But that's where that stuff all starts coming in. Hundred percent. It's often less. And just one little thing that comes to mind there with coaches. Coaches are a big problem with players accessing the flow or zone or whatever you want to call it um coaches agitate the players and stress the players by giving them too much information by training them too hard and one thing i was just doing a coach's um workshop there during the week helping them implement mental skills in their teams and all different sports and one thing i was saying is have a cutoff point from which so say if you're playing on saturday afternoon don't give the, the the player any more information after Friday at noon. Like just don't, nothing. And there's always more information to give. But you, before 
a match, say, hey, Dave, remember our lineouts around the halfway line. We need to hit the back and then we're going to go wide off that, Dave. And then we want to kick when we're in our 22. All of a sudden, all you're thinking about is that going into the game and it just stresses you out to make sure you get it right. And the coach is talking to me and da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 100%, man. Yeah. Yeah, and um, you mentioned um, that you learn from the people you coach, which 100%. And uh, I love Adesanya, have for years, and I've talked about his mindset in my new book. And um, But chat to me about some of the stuff you've learned from some of the uh, athletes that you coach. Um, I think you learn different with everyone, but I think you learn like uh, what I do, just what a growth mindset is. Um, because you're not going to achieve like what, what, what these elite level athletes are achieving unless, unless you have a growth um, mindset. And that's all about like, it doesn't matter what happens, you use it to your advantage. Uh, you know, something bad can happen, uh, right, how do we leverage this to our advantage? That's something that, like, Israel is incredibly... I mean, like, you look at just coming off this last loss and, you know, you think that that would be something that would um, would affect you, but with him, it's just, like, straight back in there. It's like what, what I learned is just, like, this... this um, determination, this mental resilience, this incredible self-belief um, and wanting to be there, like actually wanting to be there amongst the, like, the highest, the, the most stressful and high-pressure situations and wanting to be there, going towards it, going towards the fear, the apprehension, the tension. Uh, I think that's what I, I, I love about, like, um, being around that because it's contagious. Um, yeah, and like from from the fight athletes, I think um, it's such a unique sport um, in that the um, the uh, stakes are very high, and so you're, you're you're working with them in a fight camp, and you're leading towards this date, and like you can feel the momentum shift as you get closer and it's just like it's such a huge challenge and such a wonderful thing to be involved in um but yeah i i love working with athletes across all um you know with um golf golf players rugby soccer tennis uh and it's not just athletes it's like anyone who is motivated uh to optimize their health and performance i i just view like anyone that's specialized whether you're a mum, you're a dad, uh, you're a tradie, you're an office, uh, you're in an office looking at a screen all day, then you're an athlete. Um, and, and you need to train for that because specialization create creates imbalance. And um and, yeah, and without finding where that imbalance is, that, that just keeps amplifying. Yeah, absolutely. High performance is high performance is high performance, regardless of what, like you mentioned, all those different things. And um something yeah mma is so interesting because it's like i say the stakes are higher like you could die like you know it's it's different to playing tennis or golf or rugby to a little bit of an extent um 
it is different and very you're very exposed you know sometimes in a team environment you can hide behind the team we always talk about do it for the team do it for the team it's like now the team will take care of itself if every single individual does it for themselves you do it for yourself first and foremost and the team will take care of itself i don't know if that resonates with you <laughs> yeah i know what you mean like um be the best version of you be yeah. the best version of you first for the team maybe you know but but be the best version of you yeah yeah 100 um and we're all on a health journey or we should be if you're not on a health journey if you're listening and you're not on a health journey of trying to optimize your physical and mental health then what are you doing you are lost you have no challenge you're just lost and that's a terrible terrible place to be how do you change you start creating some challenges so, some some uh, physical and mental challenges, some goals. And I, I look at people that like, I'm like I said, I'm in my in my early forties, and I can see some of the people like, you know, they get to forty and they sort of just like let everything go. I just think, I, I cannot understand that. I want to be getting fitter. I want to be getting healthier. I want to be getting stronger as I'm getting older. What else is there? Why ever let it go? Why ever let that happen to yourself? Imagine if you only had one car and you and that was your car for the rest of your life. You would keep that car in meticulous condition, right? Tires would always be pumped up. You'd be out there waxing and cleaning it every week. Well, you've only got one body. It's got to last you your entire life. And working in the ambulance service, what I deal with over that 11-year period a lot were people stuck in their bodies for the last 20, 30, even 40 years of their life. And being stuck in your own body is just, it is not a way to, um, to live. 100%. And sorry, and if anyone's listening to this and they are in that place, um, simplify it. Just start like, man, just start simple and start doing stuff every day. Start investing in your own physical and mental health every day. And it will pay dividends and um that you don't it doesn't have to be anything crazy right just start simple i love it i love it yeah um i can't remember the exact words you use there but on a health journey or whatever the words you use i love it and um my parents are 63 and 60 and i'm on to them they're incredible but they're fitter healthier now than they were in their 40s no doubt and they're so active and they're doing exercise classes they're playing golf all the time you know they're just very very active as well as working and um it's so true and people used to think you slow down as you get older and that's just what you do like you said about 40 oh stop slow down done but it's the ones it's so obvious for longevity the ones that keep going and your standard of life is better because my brother is a doctor as i said and he sees people who you know that stay active they don't fall over and break a hip they don't you know in their 80s they have a way better quality of life and you know we can probably all think of um the examples of the person in their 80s that was out running or even 90s out walking and you know these people around the town or whatever these older people and it's all about staying active and i love what you say as well about um just investing in your body and mind and you only get one and it's you know what food are you putting into it and uh, just you know are you working out are you exercising are you you know it's it's all you have yeah i did a 11-year study a gold standard study <laughs> when i was working in the ambulance and what it was was every time i went to someone over the, over the age of 90 
early on, like when when you when the job would come down the screen and you see like they're over ninety years old, you'd be like, oh man, oh no, this is going to be some, you know, person like stuck in their bed and bedridden, and you don't make it to ninety uh, unless you've done something right, right? And um, whether that be genetics or you've just really looked after yourself. And so you'd go to these people over the age of uh, 90 and up into, you know, centurions. And you'd get there and they would have uh, no evidence of cognitive decline. They'd be walking around without, um, you know, they may have fallen over and have, have a little skin tear or they've called for something, you know, nothing, nothing major. And, and I would always ask them, like, what is the secret? What is the secret to aging so well? And they would always, it was always the same things. I worked until late in life because I was passionate about what I was doing. And stopped working at 60. I, I'm still working. Um, you know, social interaction. They're very social. You know, they go down, the still going down the local pub or meeting up with mates or whatever. Um, they all talk about owning a veggie patch. It was uncanny how many of them still owned a veggie patch and were tending to their veggie patch and even vegetables out of their veggie patch. You know, so their nutrition was important to them. Uh, they were still very active in terms of like physically. And so it's just simple things, man, like simple things that you uh, integrate, the pillars of health, that's all it is. And if, if like you don't get that stuff right, there's no point in adding any more uh, of the fancy stuff if you don't have the pillars of health squared away. Yeah. 100% and it's something just just kind of thought there but like you know you talk about the health and the pillars of health and if you're not looking after those you're essentially killing yourself you know I can think of people just very very stressed all the time and you are like that's that's what you're doing you know and if you're if you're not you know another thing if you're not growing you're disintegrating or if you know if you're not going in one direction you're going the other way and it's it's just yeah it's just that's just so important yeah well you and I are on a health journey. <laughs> we value that stuff. And um, yeah, uh, I always ask this one question to all of my clients. Like, So I, I, I'll have my, the initial consultation. And I always ask, orders, how many times in a week would your bare foot touch the earth's surface? Oh. Clients like, um, I have this one client. He lives in um, uh, New York. And he sat there and he was thinking about it. And he goes, you know what? never he's like i cannot remember the last time well that person is going to have chronic inflammation and they're going to be uh disconnected from the most important thing that we need to be connected to not only ourselves but the environment uh the the uh the land right like nature absolutely so the deliberate purpose of like that's why i love surfing so much because surfing you're like you're out there amongst the elements you're in the water you're on the sand you're like but I'm very deliberate about like in my day about reconnecting every single day to nature. Yeah, that's so good. And and like say reconnecting to nature, like put your phone away, go for a walk in the woods or go for a walk along the river or whatever. That's one way of doing it. And any single person who's been coached by me in the last two or three years will know I love um, just being barefoot. Uh, you know, even <laughs> I love it. Uh, if, if the weather is like above 12, 13 degrees, I'm barefoot and uh it's so enjoyable it's, it's just so nice um and it's hard to you just feel you 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 notice it you do like because i would have for years been you know in in shoes and and inside and you you feel more grounded or just relaxed yes nowadays we you have to push back against the norm 
you have to push back against the norm because the norm is what is killing us, this complacent adaptation. Um, you know, this this comfort of everything's got to be like, oh, I'm going outside, I'll put my shoes on, or I'm going for a walk, I'll put my shoes on. Out here at Piha, man, it's like, I go down the beach and there's people that have come out here to connect with nature and they're walking on the beach in their shoes. And I just, <laughs> boggles my mind how um, we have got to this point. Um, yeah. I, I, I basically like... Uh, I never wear shoes um, just because I've got used to not wearing them and wearing them now just feels so wrong. But um, at my gym in town in Auckland City, I sometimes at lunch will go up to like the mall or something and because I very often don't take my shoes and I'm, I'm walking around the mall in bare feet. And uh, the other month I was walking through the food court and um, I walked past this morbidly obese woman who was drinking a litre of Fanta and she stopped and she just stared at me. And she was just with her mouth open, just staring at my feet and looking me up and down. So I stopped and I was staring at her and we both stopped and we were just staring at each other. And I just thought, and you know, I walked on and I just thought, man, we are just so like, you know, I thought it was absurd that there's um, you're morbidly obese and you're drinking a litre of coke. And she thought it was absurd that I was just walking around the mall on bare feet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's mad. And some of the Kiwis, uh, uh, are more in touch with i learned this thing when i was over in canada the kind of um people there talk about it i'd heard about it there grounding but i remember one of my buddies a kiwi who came over to play with us 10 years ago <clears throat> in connacht he used to walk around bare feet and we used to look at him as if he had we're like sorry what and he'd take it a step further it'd be piss and rain and he'd still be at it and but that's me now like i get it i get it yeah well we run this calm under pressure workshop which is a workshop we run here in new zealand a stress mitigation workshop uh, there's a bit of a shameless plug for my workshop, but yeah, we run it every sort of six weeks, two months. Um, and it's run over two days, but when people come on this workshop, it's expected that you leave your shoes behind. So for two days and you'll often get, there'll be one person in every group that just, it just floors them. It's just like, I can't, I'm not doing that. And it's like, well, those are the rules. <laughs> We're going on the beach and, you know, need your shoes. But, yeah, some people are really taken back. They can't believe that you're telling them that they have to take their shoes off. Yeah. And on the workshop, do you limit phone use? No, nah, but the workshop is um, its a pretty intensive workshop over two days. Like, there's, um, we're, we're running through those three things I talked about, getting yeah. the loan mechanisms, teaching them the skills, practical applications, you know, time to be on your phone. And people don't want to be on their phone because they're so uh, they're so engrossed in what they're doing. They're there for like self betterment. Um, and our goal, my team's goal with that workshop, is to make that the best stress mitigation workshop in the world. And we're going to achieve that. And where that workshop has evolved in the last two years um, is uh, it's an incredible two days. Um, and you can see the change in people over that two days uh, where they start to better understand their own patterns of behavior and how it's inhibiting their own, um, their own health and performance and their, their understanding of uh, how you know, stress is manifesting or even anxiety is manifesting. Um, and yeah, they end up like they're on the beach, they're in the pool, they're in the ice bath, they're in the classroom, we have guest speakers come in. It's just a very cool two days. Unreal. And 
I'm conscious of your time, but something you said there I love is um, you said, I'm going to make it the best in the world or it's going to be the best in the world. And I absolutely love that. And when I was growing up, I think in Ireland and you hear the tall poppy syndrome and it's the same here in New Zealand from what I gather. And, you know, Australia, you know, different places. But um, and that's something that I remember hearing people that like Adesanya is very like, People don't know what to make from because, you know, Kiwis, because it's he's so different. And McGregor, when McGregor was on his rise, like, look, he's I think the money has kind of corrupted his mind. But you look at him on his rise, the exact same as Adesanya. The two of them had a knowingness that they were going to be champions so far away from when they were. When they're at the very start of their journey, they had a knowingness that they were going to be the best in the world. And the way you said it there, you know, and it's something I've understood recently a knowingness with some of the things I'm going towards and but when I was growing up I would have been you were nearly ashamed to talk about like if, if someone said if I heard you say that 10 years ago or the way I was conditioned my mind I would say what a dickhead who does look at him he's such so cocky or whatever whatever but and you just you put yourself down and you keep yourself down and you always say like oh well I'm just going to be here and do that I'm you you always you nearly tell yourself you're no good and you're not worthy of of stuff that's the way we were brought up and the way I was but like why it's I love it the way you say that and I'm the same and and maybe you know I haven't maybe I'm at a point where I would say something like that myself personally uh, out loud which I would love to get to soon you know what I mean but um man it's class and that's what as I said Adesanya McGregor and you have to have that that knowingness I think that's the word yeah, I never would have said it 10 years ago because I was the same. I grew up in an environment where if you put your head up, you got pushed back down. And so I never would have said it. But what I've learned now is like, I actually know I'm going to achieve it. Um, and that comes from my ability now to um, not only just like manifest things, but really believe in myself. Um, and, the, and this is like working with, this is what I talked about earlier on, like working with these athletes who are achieving these things is very contagious, man. You start mm. getting, talking about it, then you see them do it. And it's like, hey, far out, man. I'm, I, want it, I want that behavior. Um, but also I've learned like a lot about goal setting. And I set that goal like years ago. It was unrealistic. When I set that goal, it was totally unrealistic. And it should be, that's, that's when you set goals, your long-term goal should be unrealistic. And, you know, as, as a couple of years go by, you're like, you start to achieve your medium-term goals that you've set. You're doing your day-to-day goals and, and, and you're starting to tick off some of these medium-term goals. And then that long-term goal, the best stress mitigation workshop in the world, that was unrealistic when I set it, is now tangible. And it will be tangible and it will achieve it in, in yeah, like the next couple of years. Um, and it's not even actually not even about that. It's not even like how do how do you even like quantify that? It's, it's unquantifiable, right? I don't know if I've got the best stress mitigation workshop in the world. I don't even actually care, really. Um, but it's keeping me on track and it's really making me push. And so with the goals, it's not all about achieving the goal. Sometimes you have to shift the goalpost and you might need to put that goal out a year or you might need to change it slightly and be more realistic. But you set you set the bar high and um it's not about, not always about achieving the goal. It's about keeping on that process. 
hundred percent, hundred percent. I absolutely love it. Yeah, and uh, I see it with the players I work with now, rugby players. Like, I want to be a professional rugby player, and they're like on their second team in high school, and they're sixteen. But um, it's you just you you keep working on the process, like you say, and then things those medium term goals just start happening. Things just start happening. You get selected for a team. All of a sudden, just something happens. You get a call, you know, and that's when you start to see the power of it. You start to go, oh, all right. Yeah. Well, none of that stuff ever happens unless you back yourself because no one, no one else is going to do it for you. Like, you have to like really back yourself. And when you do that, when you put yourself out there and you might say things like that or really back yourself, there are going to be the people that are even close to you. People that you never would have thought would have doubted you or, or pushed you down, they will be there. Uh, and it is very easy to like let that um, affect you. In fact, it's impossible almost to not let it affect you. But when you know the destination, you just push through all that stuff. You either go around it or you push right through it and you, and you keep going, right? Um, the problem nowadays is we're so worried about what everyone thinks of us uh, and we're worried about we're so fearful of failure. When, in this workshop I run, we do this thing where we sit in a circle and we all go around and we talk about our weaknesses. And you hear this all the time. People are so, people say this, I'm, I worry too much about what other people think and I'm, I'm scared of failing. Those two things I hear over and over and over again. And it's, um, it's so sad, man, that like, that there's such a large portion of the population that have are dealing with that uh, and don't know and, and letting it hold them back because that, because those people are capable of so much but that they're letting those external things hold them back. You, you almost just have to like there's so many things you can do but sometimes you just got to draw a line in the sand and be like hey this is my mindset I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna let that stuff control me anymore and make a decision and that may mean that like yeah people are going to say stuff and they're going to um you know it's going to be uncomfortable or whatever but it's worth it man it's so worth it when you when you um really challenge yourself to do that yeah absolutely i'm reading a book right now just finishing it called the top five regrets of the dying and number one is what you just said um people uh oh, I wish I didn't care so much about what other people thought of me and lived the life that was true to me and just something else you said there it's so worth it and it is and it's something that I made the decision a couple of years ago and it's just it's the most worth it thing that ever there was to do <laughs> it gives me goosebumps man because um I've got some catching up to do because for a, for a lot of my life I was too worried about whatever and I look back man and it was all just trying to prove myself to people you know uh, and, and um and it was all bullshit. I cared so much about what other people thought about me that it really um, it really meant that sometimes I didn't take risks or I didn't put myself out there and I let my mind dominate me. Um, it, you know, so sometimes it's it's very it, it it comes in very subconsciously where you will find um, an out to not do something uh, because you're worried, because you're worried about what other people think, you know, like, man, even with like what I'm, even now, even recently, that has happened to me uh, where I've tried to find an out. Um, 
And unless you really check in on yourself and realize what you're doing, it's very easy just to um, allow that to happen. But uh, always just stop, take a step back. Hey, what am I actually doing here? Uh, actually, I'm trying to avoid this because I'm, uh, I'm scared of failure. Yeah. Cheers. Very last question. Um, was there a moment or a point or something that um, forced you to stop caring about what others thought and move forward this way? Yeah. Um, if I'm going to make this thing work, um, this business, then, then if you're going to like, I don't know, that, that's such a um, loaded question, but um, it was just that I got to the point where it's like, I'm doing this for me. That might sound selfish, but I'm doing it for me. First and foremost, yeah, I want to help people, but I'm doing this for me. I'm taking care of myself. And that is about um, getting rid of all that stuff. Uh, and it's not a linear process. It's like you, you always fall back into those old patterns, right? But now I have the awareness around what I'm doing. Um, Man, just, just like on a very, um, I was in the sauna the other, the other night and I got in the sauna a little bit later than what I, I normally would. It was like seven o'clock. And while I was in the sauna, I was like, well, tonight I won't do the ice bath after the sauna because it's getting late. And then so I was quite content with that. I was lying there and about five minutes passed and I was like, ooh, there, there it, 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 it sneaked in again. It's very sneaky. And so what I do, I get out of the sauna and jump in the ice bath because I'm not going to let my mind dominate me. Um, and, and yeah, it's just all about awareness, man. Yeah, I love it. And I know exactly what you mean. You're like, I'm doing it for me. And it's what well, my, the way I saw it was like, my happiness is most important and I need to, that's just what's most important. So I'm doing this because I need to be happy. And it's like, yes, I will help other people. But like, you know, I, I don't have regrets when I'm older. Most important thing in life is helping other people, and you can't help other people unless um, you know you sort yourself out first and foremost. Um, and and those people, when I say helping other people, that just might be, might be your kids, uh, it might be your family, it might be your friends, it might be you know the people that the business you're working, whatever. Um, yeah, hundred um... percent. Well, hey, while we're here, this is going to be the biggest rugby podcast in the world as well. Um, just <laughs> that's a fact, and this and that's all. This is only a side thing. Uh, there's other things as well that'll happen. But um, hey, Dave, thanks a mil for your time. I've loved chatting, and uh, talk, tell people where they can find you and other workshops in Auckland. But for yeah, your your website, your Instagram, and all that stuff. Website is wmw.co.nz. Uh, Instagram is integrated, uh, WMW integrated training, or just integrated training. You'll find it on uh, Instagram. Uh, yeah, follow along. Uh, have a look at the website. We've just uh, we've just vamped up our website, and um, yeah, it's got all the information on there. WMW.co.nz. Yeah, and then you do the workshop and also work with the people. Do one-on-one -on -one training, do uh, run these workshops, run um, uh, specific sport and corporate workshops based on um, uh, tailored to, to the team. Uh, and then I run these three-day intensives where people come out and they spend three full days. And then I do online training 
uh, with people in New Zealand and abroad, uh, athletes, professionals, mums and dads, anyone trying to optimize performance and health. Brilliant. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers for listening in today. If you're ambitious, want to overcome setbacks and achieve big things, check out my new book. The links to the paperback and audio version are in the podcast description. And there you'll also find the link to the Audible free trial. If you keep doing what you've always done, you'll keep getting the results that you've always got. It's really simple. And the next 12 months are going to be the exact same for you as the last 12 months were. If you're serious about getting different results in your life, get in touch with me through offfieldrugby.com. I work one-on-one with not just players and coaches, but anyone with a growth mindset who wants to get more out of life. Please send the pod on some friends. I would really appreciate that. And if you want to be an absolute legend, you can leave a rating and a review. Please follow me on social media. That's at offfieldrugby. And my LinkedIn is Brian Moylet. If you have any questions or thoughts, send them on. I'd love to hear them. Thanks, Emil, for being here. Check out some earlier episodes and have a brilliant rest of your day. Cheers.